we approach God's word in scripture, let us do so with prayer. Reveal, O God, your wonder to our eyes. Open our hearts to Christ's love. Disperse from our minds any darkness and fill our lives with your light. Protect us, O God, from thoughts without action. Guard us from words without life. Grant us wisdom always to walk in the guidance of your spirit. Amen. The first scripture reading comes to us from the Gospel of Mark in chapter 6, beginning with verse 14. Listen now for what the Spirit has to say to the people. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason, these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah, and others said, it's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in a prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to marry your brother's wife. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected John. But when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a great banquet for the courtiers and the officers and the leaders of Galilee. And when his daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever it is you ask me, I give you even half of my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? Her mother replied, the head of John the baptizer. Immediately, the girl rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was deeply grieved, yet out of his regard for his oaths and for his guests, he did not want to refuse her. And immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. And when the disciples heard about it, they came and took John's body and laid it in a tomb. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. The Benedictine monk Thomas Merton told stories that collected were called the wisdom of the desert. 
These were stories of monastic people from ancient times who were in the Mideast desert pursuing knowledge and experience of God in ascetic ascetic communities. And one of my favorite of these stories is the story of a quarrel. There were two elders living together in a cell, Merton writes. They never had so much as a quarrel with one another, and one then said to the other, Come on, let us have at least one quarrel like other people. The other said, I I don't know how to start a quarrel. The, The first said, Well, I'll take this brick and I'll put it right here between us. And then I will say, it is mine. And after that, you will say, it is mine. This is what leads to a dispute and a fight. And so they placed the brick between them, and one said, it is mine. And so the other answered, it's not yours, it is mine. And the first one said again, no, it is mine. And so the other answered, well, then if it's yours, just take it. And thus they did not manage to have a quarrel after all. I enjoy this story. I enjoy it because I think most of us understand the ability to get into a quarrel better than we understand the inability to have one. This story reminds me that compassion is stronger than selfish desire, and it also reminds me The compassion is not something that just simply comes. It isn't just found. It's something that is cultivated with attention and care and relationships. There's a similar conversation happening in the scripture that we read this morning. It's not readily apparent, but it's there. The story we read from Mark is a strange interlude in the Gospel of Mark. It's one where Jesus is entirely absent. It's a story of King Herod's banquet that displays the very worst of human actions. Misuse of power, greed, violence, discrimination, political corruption, betrayal. It's all there. And when when I read this so-called text of terror, which is text of terror is what scholars call these kinds of texts. I I pause to catch my breath. I I struggle to gather my thoughts. I ask the question, where is God in this? And I find it difficult to know just how to approach these texts, as I think many of us do. But even when reading it, when there's moments that feel hopeless, there is still some act of grace that is hidden in plain sight. Author Flannery O'Connor once wrote, there's a moment in every story in which the presence of grace can be felt as it waits to be accepted or rejected, even though the reader may not recognize this moment. There's a moment of grace here though not easily seen, without looking at the larger context of the Gospel of Mark. And if we take the Gospel as a whole book of the Bible, we can read about a focus that the writer of the Gospel of Mark has 
which is on what we call the reign of God or the kingdom of God. The reign of God is about how God relates to the world and to human communities. Mark's attention goes to the ways that God is creating and sustaining life and hope in the middle of troubling and violent circumstances. Now, this world, we know, is undergoing a transformation in the Gospel of Mark. Transformation is a significant theme in this reign of God that the Gospel preaches. It is Jesus who sparks this fire of transformation. And it's a transformation that is characterized by compassion and by grace. It is embodied in communities of people who seek to live as those who are transformed. But for here and now, for you and I, what does this mean? What does this look like? What does it look like in the context of a story like King Herod's feast? Now, the story of Herod's banquet, this birthday feast, is placed in comparison with the stories that come before it and after it. The violence of one is set in juxtaposition of the grace of the others. This is why it's so important to note that Jesus isn't present in this text, this story. Jesus' absence calls us, asks us to look closely at these stories to see where Jesus is present, where Christ is active. And the story we read this morning, while it presents a grim and sordid conclusion that is John the Baptist's head on a platter, we can discover the grace that's entering before and after coming into this story. Now, the story that we read, it's a sobering moment. It shows the very worst of what humans can do. It shows the hurt that people can inflict on others. It shows us a world that discriminates, that can be violent, that's hungry, that's corrupt, that's selfish. And we know this world. We've seen it. Even if we've not experienced it firsthand, we've witnessed it through others or in our community or from an abstract distance. Facing all that this story represents demands that we ask, where is Jesus? The story immediately before it, before Herod's banquet, is a story of Jesus preparing the twelve disciples for their mission The story that comes immediately after it is a story of the feeding of the crowd of 5,000. And what comes before and what comes after is no coincidence. This is intentional of the writer. Jesus is simultaneously, at the same time as this story of Herod happens, is being told, Jesus is working to disrupt the brokenness of the world with compassion and with grace. And so God, through Jesus, is equipping people to enter the world with compassion. 
Jesus teaches the 12 disciples. He sends them out into communities in pairs, and they are sent into the world to share compassion, to offer healing, to give witness to the reign of God, the love of God that is alive in the world. And as the story of Herod's banquet, as this story of this deadly feast is told, the faith community is going out into the world to tell of God's love and mercy and care. They are going, the disciples are going to build people up and to be a compassionate church for God and for others. Now the story that follows Herod's feast is a story of a very different kind of feast than the one Herod hosts. 5,000 people have gathered to hear Jesus teach, and it is mealtime, and there are only a few fish and a few loaves of bread for this massive crowd. These baskets with fish and bread are sent to share a life of abundance that God seeks for humanity. It is an abundance that is characterized by compassion and by grace. It is, we could say, a feast of grace rather than a feast of fear. Now, when such a story like Herod's story is told, when a story of the misuse of power is told, the Gospel of Mark surrounds it with compassion. These stories that surround Herod's story are stories that transform the world and the people who live in it. They're stories of grace and of faith. Alice Walker, poet Alice Walker, in her book, Hard Times Require Furious Dancing, writes, there is no graceful way to carry hatred. And so people of faith, following Jesus offer compassion where it's needed. One might say that when the church faces troubles in the world, it requires God's grace and some serious faith. After John the Baptist is killed, after the platter is delivered to the woman who makes her order, Scripture offers a powerful conclusion. Now, it's easy to pass by. It it looks just like a footnote. It's, it's one simple verse that comes almost as a throwaway at the end of the story, but it is not. It links the story of Herod's banquet to the stories that come before and after. It's a simple verse that describes the disciples coming to receive John's body. The community of faith enters the story, goes to the palace to receive the deceased, to grieve and lament and give witness to his life, brokenness and compassion are juxtaposed in this one small moment when disciples enter the story, when they come with courage to face those who killed John, And so even in the face of a great loss, the community of faith 
enters a space of brokenness to offer compassion. In Koine Greek, Biblical Greek, the original language of the Gospel of Mark, the word compassion, its meaning is related to the word that we, you and I, would translate as guts. As in, I've got a gut feeling. It's that stomach-churning feeling, that pit-of-the-stomach feeling. Preacher Caroline Lewis says that this gut feeling, this compassion, is inherent to the disciples, the discipleship that Jesus is teaching. This compassion will not go away, or this It will not go away, this feeling of compassion, unless you go into the places and the spaces that need the compassion and need it desperately. God in Scripture is telling the story of God's reign, God's way of relating to the world, ways that God hopes that people of faith will interact with the world with compassion, with guts. And so when facing the troubles of the world, the church and the people of faith are following Jesus, called by God to tell God's story, to share compassion and peace, which God has made known and is making known throughout the world. This compassion offered by the church will be a grace received when it is most needed. May that grace always be known. Thanks be to God. Amen.